Welcome to The City That Votes, a podcast series from the Chicago Board of Elections, taking you behind the polling place curtain for a look and listen at how our election system works in the Windy City. I'm Max Bever, Director of Public Information and your host for the program. This episode, we're going to discuss one of our Board of Commissioners' most important duties, serving as the Chicago Electoral Board, which hears and decides on objections to a candidate's nomination petitions to get on the ballot in the city of Chicago. Since the Electoral Board is currently meeting to hear cases ahead of the June 28th primary, I thought it might be a good idea for our listeners, and okay, for me too, to get a Schoolhouse Rock-style explanation breaking down this process. That's why I'm speaking with our General Counsel, Adam Lasker, to give us a brief overview on the Chicago Electoral Board. Adam, thanks so much for joining us on The City That Votes. My pleasure to be here, Max. Thank you very much. So I know I was just joking about the Schoolhouse Rock-style overview, but I thought it'd be good to give listeners a little bit of a behind-the-curtain peek, uh, demystify the electoral board process a bit. I know that you've been involved in several go-arounds at this point. Uh, we're in the midst of this one ahead of the primary election on June 28th, but I guess I'll just start with asking, can you give us the steps a candidate needs to take to appear on the ballot in the city of Chicago? Absolutely. I think the first step is to talk to the spouse, the friends, the family, (laughs) make sure it's actually the right time. But I I think those kinds of answers are not what you're looking for. Obviously, it really all starts with the nomination papers and with creating the campaign finance committee. Uh, Under Illinois law, as soon as you've raised slightly over $5,000, you're required to, uh, within 10 days, create a campaign finance committee and then thereafter file your quarterly disclosures and and other disclosure reports on campaign finance funding. Mm -hmm. Uh, That all happens through the Illinois State Board of Elections. Statewide basis, everything for campaign finance goes through the Illinois Board. So we in the Chicago Board of Elections don't have any jurisdiction or authority or involvement really with the campaign finance, but that is one of the first steps. Another first big step, of course, is the nomination papers. Uh, Petition circulation begins, it's a 90-day period. Um, So we are out of that period now because the nomination papers have already been filed for the June primary election. Uh, We've got, of course, a mayoral election coming up in February 2023. Mm -hmm. Uh, Petitions will start circulating on August 30th for, for that election. Nomination papers come along with a statement of candidacy form. You have to fill out a statement of economic interest that you file either with the county clerk or the Secretary of State, depending Mm -hmm. on which kind of office you're seeking. Copy of the receipt of filing from that form should be filed with your nomination papers. And that, the filing of your nomination papers is then what triggers the electoral board cycle. Objections get filed within the five business days after the close of the uh, petition filing period. These are what we call an objector's petition. Mm -hmm. So under Illinois law, your nominating petitions are deemed to be valid unless an objection is filed against them or unless they fail to be in apparent conformity with the legal requirements. Uh, that's the, the Board of Elections, even without electoral board hearings, does have the authority to decline ballot certification for a candidate. For example, if the nomination papers contain sent 10 signatures, but 1,000 signatures are required, mm-hmm. and we don't judge the individual basis, the individual validity of those signatures, we just count them up. 10 signatures, assuming they're all good, is not anywhere close to 1,000. We would not certify that candidate to the ballot. But if an objection is filed, then our electoral board does spring to life, and that's where the hearings begin. 
And I do have one more question before we get into the inner workings of the electoral board then, too, is this 90-day period for petitions. This is the only time that candidates could collect them. I've gotten this question, I think, pop up in like my email box. But you can't just like have signatures on cocktail napkins or get a things ahead of time. Like candidates who are asking, say, ahead of the municipal election, they can't start collecting until that opens up on August 30th, right? That is correct in respect to those municipal elections, yes. So one issue that could arise in an electoral board proceeding, if the objector is aware that the candidate was circulating petitions too early, that is an objection that could be uh, ruled upon by the electoral board. They would bring in evidence and witnesses and testimony and, and establish what were the actual circulation dates of uh, those petition sheets. And if it was circulated prior to, before that 90-day period opened, then those signatures would not be legally valid. So now let's put ourselves in the shoes of a candidate or an objector. So what happens when a candidate appears before a hearing officer then? Not, not all electoral boards use hearing officers, but the big ones do. Chicago and the state of Illinois were the, were the first, uh, and now Cook County also uses hearing officers. These electoral boards exist also in local townships and uh, local municipalities, villages and, and small sub suburban cities around the, the state. Mm -hmm. Um, but with the hearing officer mode, that's because our, our three commissioners just don't have the time to sit and hear every single one of these cases. One of, the, one of the pressing factors with these cases is they must be expedited. There's very little time between the filing period for these objections and then the ballot certification times that we need to be able to start printing ballots and preparing for the election. So one of the first things the candidate is going to notice, and the objector as well, is these hearings happen fast and mm -hmm. they need so for example our rules of procedure for Chicago we have an initial hearing the very first day of hearing is sort of an administrative day the parties come in they meet the hearing officer they introduce themselves they exchange contact information the objector will give a, a quick summary of the allegations they've raised in their complaint they will discuss whether there's going to be any need for subpoenas for witnesses they kind of get a sense as to how the case is going to move forward and then particularly, the hearing officer will ask if there will be any preliminary motions filed. And what that usually means is that the candidate might want to file a motion to strike or dismiss the objector's petition mm -hmm. due to either flaws in the actual objector's petition or due to the objector's petition perhaps not raising a claim that would be a big enough claim to remove the candidate from the ballot. Our briefing schedule on those motions to dismiss is that the candidate has to file the motion to dismiss by 5 o'clock p.m. the day after the initial hearing. The objector then has until 5 p.m. the following day to file a response, and the candidate could then file a reply by 5 p.m. the day after that. So you've really got a three-day briefing schedule followed mm -hmm. by a hearing. So we get this introductory meeting, but then candidates and objectors have to move pretty quickly from there, right? That is correct. When, it, when I go into the courthouse on standard litigation, it always knocks my socks off how much time they give in the court system on regular cases. When I have a judge turn to me and say, you know, would you like 30 or 60 days to file your motion? That just seems like an eternity. So, <laughs> so this three-day briefing period is pretty quick uh, in the electoral board proceedings. But again, very time sensitive to get these ballots figured out in time for printing and voting. Um, so now we've got candidates, objectors, they've had this first meeting, uh, we're moving on. I've heard this term used around the office and it took me a while to, to memorize it, but what is a records examination and, and that part of this process? And, and records examinations is actually the modern, the current term. Before that, it was called binder checks. So if you really want to pretend you, you know this business, you got to refer to it as a binder check. That's what all I'm going to remember. That that's now. what all the old the old pros call it. But the records examination is many of these objections, not all of them, but many of them are based on the validity of the signatures, the individual signatures appearing on the petition sheets. 
the allegations might be that the signature is not genuine, that the, if it says Adam Lasker on the petition, but it doesn't look like it was actually written by Adam Lasker, then that could be a not genuine or an invalid signature. The allegation might be that the petition signer is not actually a registered voter. You are re required to be a registered voter uh, in order to sign a petition. Another allegation might be that the signer lives outside of the district. So if you're running for alderman in the first ward, your petition signers not only have to be registered voters, but they have to be registered voters in the first ward. Those are some of the big ticket issues that are handled in a records examination. The board has an employee who sits at a computer terminal called the record examiner, the employee. The computer terminal has voter registration data that's needed for in comparison to the signatures on the petition sheet. And they also have the petition sheets in front of them, and they go through one by one, looking what the allegation is in the objector's petition, then looking at the signature on the petition sheet, and looking at the corresponding signature clip, if it's a genuineness objection, mm -hmm. or looking at the registration data, if it's a residency or registration objection, and they make a ruling there. It's a preliminary ruling. It's done by an employee, not the hearing officer. Our hearing officers are licensed attorneys in the state of Illinois. But there's many layers to the cake here. This is the first step. The board's examiner makes a, a preliminary decision. If the decision involves the genuineness of a signature, it's then sent to the board's certified handwriting expert that the board hires for every election cycle. That person reviews and can modify that decision on genuineness. Then it all goes in front of the hearing officer again. And the hearing officer uh, can hear any arguments or additional evidence as to any uh, incorrect rulings that the parties believe may have happened during mm -hmm. that examination. And then with every kind of issue that's ever raised in an electoral board case, the hearing officer is going to make a recommended decision, not a final decision, but a recommended decision that then gets the final approval, the final vote, and the final decision from the actual three commissioners sitting as the electoral board. Right. So that's our final step of the process. Yes. And a hearing officer has made their findings, yes. presented to the electoral board. What happens next? So then that recommended decision gets served on the parties. Uh, so the candidate and the objector are going to get a copy of the, uh, the the hearing officer's recommended decision. Rule 20 in our in our rules of procedure then allow either of those parties or both of the parties to submit what's called a Rule 20 motion. That is that's a request to appear in front of the electoral board. So before the electoral board actually enters its final decision, sometimes the parties are okay with the hearing officer's recommendation. Sometimes they want to come upstairs in front of the electoral board and give some additional argument. Mm -hmm. Then after that argument is heard, the electoral board will enter a final decision. In the meantime, I also see a copy of these recommended decisions. And we have really good hearing officers. Uh, some of them have been doing this for over 30 years. Some of them are newer at it, but they're all uh, attorneys who stay out of politics. We, we never assign them a case in any area where they may have supported a candidate or anything like that. They're mm -hmm. all independent in terms of political affiliation for the cases they hear. But I need to just make sure that I agree with their decision, too, because the board looks to me for some advice and counsel on these cases. And so almost all the time I agree with the hearing officers. Sometimes I see an issue, and I'll explain to the board why I might see an issue. And then the board will hear these cases and make a final determination, enter their final decision, and that final decision then becomes subject to judicial review. If the losing party wants to appeal to the circuit court, that's the first step. That has to happen quickly, of course, within five days of the final I decision. I imagine, yeah. Yep. <laughs> From the circuit court, it can go to the appellate court and even to the Supreme Court. And again, the judges that handle these cases, it's amazing how they make time on their schedule. Uh, I have to applaud the judges, particularly in the circuit court, but also the appellate and Supreme Courts. When they see an election case come through, 
they make time on, they clear time on their schedule because they understand the importance of uh, getting all this figured out before the ballots need to be printed and voted. Mm -hmm. So say there's no extra uh, appeal or anything else uh, at the electoral board. At that time, does a candidate then, I mean, it's decided that they're on or off the ballot at that moment? It, it is decided at that moment, and that decision becomes final after that five-day judicial review period. So there's a little limbo, only five days, where we need to wait and see if any of these parties are going to decide to take it up on judicial review. But uh, under law, it becomes a final enforceable decision after the five-day period if no uh, petition for judicial review has been filed. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. Uh, I might have gotten a little ahead of myself, but who can file an objector's petition in the first place? That's a good question. You do have to be a registered voter within the applicable election district in order to file an objector's petition. So like the example I gave earlier, if you're objecting to a candidate who's running for first ward alder person, then you have to be a registered voter within the first ward in order to file the objection. What are some of the most common objections that you've seen uh, in your time? Definitely the signature-based objections, uh, is, those are contained in uh, most of the objections that we see. Uh, some other common examples can be a candidate residency issue. Either maybe they don't reside here at all, or maybe, no, they properly reside where they say they reside, but it's not within the actual district they're trying to run for office in. We were expecting to see more of that because we're right now preparing our first election since the tenure redistricting. And so that oftentimes leads to additional objections based on where the candidate actually lives, because there's special rules involved when uh, the district's lines have just been redrawn. Mm -hmm. We actually only have one of those cases right now, and I think that that matter is uh, being withdrawn as uh, I think they determined that the candidate was in the proper place. That sounds relatively surprising, given uh, how much just changed for this last I election. Was, I was very surprised we didn't have more of those kinds of objections. We were preparing for it, but uh, but again, if, if candidates are doing doing it the right way and not triggering any objections, that actually makes it easier for all of us. We have we do have an election to prepare for, even though <laughs> the electoral board cases are happening. Uh -huh. Well, I know that your head's probably already thinking about the municipal election in 2023 and and getting ahead of that electoral board hearing. And I also understand that, you know, the Chicago Board of Elections doesn't deal with any of the campaign finance or campaign apparatuses. But I also understand since this is a gubernatorial primary, no candidates have actually filed their petitions with the Chicago Board of Elections for this round. Um, so why does the Chicago Electoral Board still hear these candidates' cases if they don't file with us directly? Well, that's another good question. So you're, you're correct that right now the cases that the Chicago Electoral Board is hearing are related only to candidates seeking the offices of state representative state senator or congressman, representative in the United States Congress. All three of those categories of candidates filed their nomination papers with the Illinois State Board of Elections. For all three of those categories of candidates, the objections were filed with the Illinois State Board of Elections. But when you have a local election commission, like Chicago is lucky enough to have, the, you know, these commissions are designed to take the current elected officials out of the process. In places that do not have an election commission, the mayor, the city clerk, and the longest serving alderman would be the three members of the electoral board. So hmm. you have your very own elected officials who would be ruling on the legitimacy of the other candidates' nomination papers. So when you have an election commission like ours, we now have these three commissioners who are independently uh, not affiliated with any candidates. They're prohibited by statute from participating in political campaigns and from contributing to candidates. They are appointed by the judges of the circuit court, so they don't need to run for election. They don't have their names printed on their own ballots like a county <laughs> clerk might. The, the, the election code gives us those cases, then, that touch are, are in districts that touch Chicago, even if it's just one voter who is living in Chicago. If the district touches Chicago, 
and is fully w contained within the county, then we hear those cases by operation of, of the election code. And so that gives local control to the, our independent commission to hear those cases instead of either the county clerk's office or the mayor's office or anything like that. Thanks, Adam. That makes a lot more sense to me now. Makes sense to you, but probably nobody else. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know I said this quickly at the, uh, the start of this conversation, but we're in the middle of this electoral board session for this upcoming primary. When does everything usually wrap up? Well, it's supposed to wrap up before the ballot certification deadlines. So ideally, we have everything resolved completely by that time, including appeal and including Supreme Court. Um, but that doesn't always happen. Our goal right now is to have all of our cases completed at the electoral board level by the end of this month, the end of April, maybe spilling a little bit into the beginning of May, keeping in mind that then they're subject to possible judicial review and appeals. So mm -hmm. trying to get it all wrapped up, if possible, by the ballot certification deadlines. However, this in Chicago and Cook County and other larger jurisdictions throughout the state with a lot of candidates and a lot of objections, this can be one of the reasons that early voting doesn't start at the earliest possible day of 40 days before the election. We have had cases that are still pending sometimes when early voting has started. Um, so we do the best we can, but again, the time period, you can see now why we talked about how these cases must be expedited. It's really, it's really that much of a challenge. So meeting deadlines is very important very for voters important. and ease of their voting too. Yeah, and hats off to the attorneys who handle a lot of these cases and are very good at this expedited process. There are many of those attorneys who really do a good job. It's a real wake-up call for those who come in and doing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I've got one last question, and I'm sure that your brain is already there, but for people listening, you know, interested in city elections, when do you expect the next session of the Chicago Electoral Board for the municipal election to start? The filing period for the nomination papers is uh, in about the middle of November, and then the filing for the objections is the five business days after that. So um, I would say in the first few days of December, we'll be having our initial hearings, and uh, within three days after that, those uh, initial motions will be filed. <laughs> <laughs> so really, a majority of the work is taking place just this year in 2022 for the Chicago Electoral Board. That That is correct. Uh, and you also might understand now why election attorneys never see their families over the winter <laughs> holidays. Well, I know that you're a busy man too, Adam, but I appreciate you taking the time and uh, really demystifying, I think, the process a bit more for listeners. I hope it helps. Thank you very much, Max. Thanks again to Adam for giving us this informative overview. I'll also use this moment to give listeners a quick reminder that you can now apply to vote by mail for the upcoming June 28th primary election. Go to chicagoelections.gov to learn more and to apply. Also new this year, thanks to a new Illinois law, Voters can now join a permanent vote-by-mail roster and have their ballots sent directly to their preferred address ahead of every election. As part of the online vote-by-mail application, you'll be asked if you want to join this roster and receive your ballot through the mail for all future elections. Thank you for listening to The City That Votes from the Chicago Board of Elections. Please follow us on social media. We are at Chicago Election on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And leave us a review when you've got the time or contact me at communications at chicagoelections.gov and let me know what you might want to hear and know more about behind the scenes at the Chicago Board of Elections. Until next time, I'm Max Bever, Director of Public Information, and thanks for listening.